My name is Jake and this is my story. I've definitely struggled to be gentle with things that I believe are the exact right way to do something and I'm very much upfront with them that I think that they're wrong and I'm not always very gentle in how I do that. Gentleness isn't uh, a sign of weakness for sure. I think that gentleness could be considered a strength and I think some of the strongest people I've ever met uh, are very, very gentle in how they approach things and it's not just always agreeing with people. I think it's just how you're able to disagree with people, but do it in a very, you know, gentle and controllable manner. You know, I think the people that I believe are gentle, I very much see it in them, and it's very easy to see, see Christ through that. Well, hey, welcome everybody. We're glad to have you here. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. Can we just welcome them? Would you do that with me? We're really glad. I mean, I'm hearing stories from all over the place. Welcome at Homer Glen. Welcome at New Lenox. Welcome at Orland Park. And ladies and gentlemen, you know what time of the year it is. It's time for the Super Bowl prediction. I mean, it's next week, you guys. The teams have been picked. And um, I, I know it's a week early, but I, I, I want to give you a, a little heads up so that, you know, you can place your bets according to the word of the Lord. So, you know, I sought the Lord for leadership of these two teams, the Rams and the Bengals, and uh, their quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow. Matthew means gift of God. Um, he's a great Christian man. Joseph means he will add. So that was kind of hard to figure out. But then I remembered that this is, an, uh, this is a matchup from the east to the west, right? It's the east and the west. And just like that, when I was sitting in my office with no windows open, I don't even have windows that do open, a breeze came from the Lord, and it came from the east to the west, and it blew my pages open to Isaiah 41, verse 2 and 3. Who raised up the righteous man? from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He pursued them and passed safely. Are you kidding me? Even by the way, he had not gone with his feet. I mean, this is pretty obvious to me, right? And if that wasn't clear enough, then the, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit rolled over to Hosea 11.10 and said, he shall roar like a lion. Now, you've got to remember, there's no tigers in the Bible, so the Hebrew is really just big cat, so it could be Bengal, if you will. And when he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. Come on, you guys. I mean, I know sometimes you think I make this stuff up, but... No, 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 wait, wait, we're not done. And then the, then the, the Lord flipped the Bible all the way back to Genesis, and Abraham looked, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. The Bengals take the Super Bowl, I'm just telling you right now, guaranteed. Um. So I, we're doing how to be a better human. I used the drive-through window at a at a restaurant recently only because you're like I was gonna it was a Panera. I was gonna go in and you know get a salad. I promised I was gonna be healthy, but I, they didn't they have anybody to work there. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I had to go through the drive-through and I noticed a sign and it said, "Do you have a great smile? Do you have a great attitude? Then we're hiring you." Which is probably just an old sign. I thought you know because right now it would say, "Do you have a pulse?" We're hiring you. 
right? Can you remain upright for 30 minutes at a time? We're hiring you, okay? But it was interesting to me because they didn't ask, you know, can you make a salad? They didn't ask, have you ever done a french fry? They didn't ask, do you know how to make change for a dollar, which most young people don't know how to do anymore. They were interested more in personality than ability. And I, and I think that as we talk about uh, how to be a better human, the world understands that. The world gets that. And there is so much hate and so much negativity in the world today, and some of it is coming from Christians. So if being a Christian doesn't make someone a better human, then I've got to ask myself, what's the point? I mean, just to get into heaven, is that what it is? I mean, they may get in, but they're not going to be in my section. I don't want the crabby Christians in my section, right? I, I mean, neither do you. So, so we're talking about how to be a better human, and obviously as Christians, and if you're a Christian, you, as a believer, you know that you want to be a better human, you should be a better human, and we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. How do we farm for the fruits of the Spirit, all right? These are like the fruits of the flesh, the, the impulses, right? And, and then this is the spirit value that goes uh, around them, that goes on the other side of them, that gives us joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, lo- and love, okay? And self-control. We're going to talk about gentleness and self-control today. And when I was putting this message together, I was thinking, oh, the men are going to tune me out, Right? Because when you hear gentleness you, gentleness, you probably think of Bambi meeting thumb, Thumper, right? You know, you, you think about how to act around your mother-in-law's cat when she's in the room, right? Or, or if you suspect she has a secret camera. And you, you're saying to me, if you're a guy, Tim, gentleness might be okay in the church, but it's not going to work Monday at the office. And self-control, PT, I've heard you say before that self-control is a bad translation. It's an oxymoron. You know what those are, right? It's two words that conflict, in, you know, that, that, that make something together, like jumbo shrimp. That, that's a conflicting oxymoron. Rubber cement, very famous oxymoron. Short sermon, you know, oxymoron. <laughs> Government intelligence, oxymoron. Cubs win. Uh, never mind. And, and truthfully, self-control is an oxymoron. It is. Those two things don't go together. So no matter how, how hard we try, we cannot master ourselves. And let me assure you of this right up front. Apostle Paul said, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Feels, feels right, right? But I see another law at work in its members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of sin. I mean, I I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. My inner being, I delight in God's law, but man, I have a hard time pulling it off. I was reading a post by a pastor at another church who was, had done a survey of what people wanted to hear from the fruits of the Spirit because they weren't going to combine them like we were. They weren't going to do like nine weeks. They were just going to you know, pick some that people wanted. And he said 90%, 90% of the people on their form said they wanted to talk about self-control. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is we aren't whole. Can you hear that? When I'm whole... I live under the control of the Holy Spirit, and I can be a good human. But the more broken I am, the more hurting I am, the less of the Spirit I normally rely on. And it's easier for me to reach for a medicator, right? Like food, or shopping, or drugs, or sexing, or working, or scrolling, whatever it is to make the pain go away. 
because the medicators become our addictions because they actually work, okay? This is the problem. They actually do work for a little while, right? So, so you, you, as an unwhole person, as the Apostle Paul is writing Romans 7, he's like, I find this law at work within me. I want the good, but then I become less than whole. I become, I become tired. I become hangry. I, you know, wh- whatever the problem is. And all of a sudden, I find myself wanting to do the things I know I shouldn't do because they'll give me a short-term fix, basically. And they're GMOs, okay? So we've been talking about farming and fruits and GMOs because I hate them. And so we've talked about what, you know, genetically modified organisms we tend to put in ourselves to give us the fruit of the Spirit. So first week I talked about joy, and it was alcohol, it was drugs, right? It was substances. That's what, It could be food, it could be sugar, it could be caffeine, whatever it is. But, but joy, I think a GMO that we use is substances. And then, and then we talked about, you know, anything that gives you a dopamine hit so that you're artificially happy. That even happens as you're scrolling on your social, social media. They know so much more about the brain now. If it feels like you're addicted to your phone, it's because you are, because you get a dopamine hit every time you look and you see something going on. And then we talked about peace and patience and how that was sunshine. And there was nothing wrong with it, but we all know that when we're in the sunshine, you know, even if it's a sunny day out and it's still only 19 degrees, that still helps us. But if we're dependent on it, then that's not going to be good because sometimes, at least around here, there's not sun, right? We talked about gentleness and self-control today, and here's the GMO I've come up with, and, and this is really out there, okay? So please don't, like, write me off as a heretic when I say this. I think that the GMO, that we, artificial way that we come up with gentleness and self-control is confession. Hear me out. I'm not against sunshine. I'm not against food. I'm not against alcohol. And I'm definitely not against confession. That's the first step towards wholeness. But some of us stay there and it becomes a GMO. Okay, let, let me explain. Um, most of you grew up doing confession, or at least you were supposed to, okay? At least 70% of our congregation grew up Catholic. I won't make you raise your hands. I've never been to confession, but I have seen a lot of mafia movies. So my understanding of it is, as I understand it, I think the first thing that you say is, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, right? And then the priest says, how long has it been since your last confession? And then you lie. This is just my understanding of, you know, what, what I know from, you know, the, the mafia. You lie and you commit a venial sin right at the beginning of your confession of sin. That's really awesome. And I've heard a lot of people tell me that as kids growing up, they really didn't even know if they'd done anything wrong. So you can't go in there empty-handed. So they just made something up, you know. They lied like they said, well, I've told a lie, which like I just did right now because they, they don't know. But here's my question. Why does the priest ask how long it has been since your last confession? Because he knows that confession is something that you have to do over and over again. And then he absolves you and you go back out and you do it some more. Okay? And what about the rest of us? No different for me growing up. I mean, I hate the word Protestant because that, that means protest and we weren't doing that. But, but anybody that's a non-Catholic, if you grew up in a church, then you did repentance. Right? Did you ever repent? Uh, I'm sorry, I have to say it that way. Did you ever repent of your sin? 
in the messed up old school way we used repentance, okay? You come forward at invitation time and you rededicate your life, right? I remember a story about a guy who was really a bad dude and he was just, he, he just couldn't get his life together. And he, every Sunday he would go forward at the Baptist church and pray, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. And one week one of the people on the front row just said, don't do it, Lord, he leaks. Okay, and, and, and that's, I mean, that's the truth about confession. That's the truth about accountability. And accountability is the first step because you've got to admit your junk. Okay, so if, just hear me go all the way with this. If you're worried about porn, please get an internet filter. Okay, please do it. But listen, I'm an internet accountability partner with uh, uh, several people who have admitted to me that if they really wanted to look at porn, they still figured out ways around it. Right? Find another computer, find some way to meander through your phone to get to a different place that nobody's going to know about. And, and sure, you can look good to your accountability partner, but you're really just this, right? So, so what, I'm, what I mean is um, it's not just about being a better human on the outside. It's about being actually transformed, Okay? When you just look good from the outside, you're one of the Pharisees. I mean, you can say that you, you could not look at porn and, and, and do other things that are just as bad if your heart is on the inside, right? Do you know what I'm saying? So, so if, you're, if you're really a growing tree, it, Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. I'm the vine and you are the branches, then you're alive. But if you're not, then you're cut off and you're dead and your fruit is fake. And if you have to have confession and accountability forever, then you haven't really been transformed, and you're faking your fruit. The goal in AA is to get to the point where you're leading others out of addiction, right? Not just to go back and start over again. I mean, it's like me and coffee, okay? I used to drink it with lots of cream and sugar. I mean, I, that's how I got started on it, and I was used to it. Until some friends man, literally man-shamed me one day and said, hey, if you'll drink it black for a week, I promise you, you'll never go back. And so I took the dare, you know, and, and, and I drink it completely black. I don't put anything in it whatsoever. And now when my wife and I get our Contigos mixed up and I accidentally take a drink of hers, it just makes me want to gag. Is it possible for me to get to the point where I can actually change my taste buds and remain in the vine and I don't need to keep coming back over and over again saying, nah, I've got to start my sobriety over again. I've got to start it all over again. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Self-control is self under control of the Spirit. The surface question asks, how do I protect my computer? The deeper question is, what is so broken inside of me that has me pursuing counterfeit intimacy from a screen? That's the deep question. I'll take another shot. How about shopping? Instead of saying, oh, I need to fix my problem, right? We say, I'm going to fix the problem. And what am I going to do? I'm going to take Dave Ramsey's advice and I'm going to cut up my credit cards, right? Or stick them in the freezer. 
That's another thing he tells you to do. Put it in a block of ice and stick it in the freezer so you have to at least thaw it out before you go and do something. And you know what? That works. That works. Uh, so, so what are you going to do about shopping? I thought of the way that you could really do it, and that would be to trick Facebook and Google who live in your phone and just only talk out loud about stuff you don't like. Think about it, right? So they will only put things on your feed that you won't be tempted about. Go Cubs, go! Hey Siri, find me a Brussels sprouts recipe, right? And you just keep going like that and you're never going to have the ads and then you won't be tempted. But what I'm saying is what if you could really be transformed? What if you could really be a better human? So what's underneath the, the issue of the lack of gentleness? Let's get underneath and find out what this stuff is, right? Well, why are we harsh? What does harshness accomplish? Distance. Think about it. If you're not gentle... You're really making distance. Harshness is a wall. It's a barrier that keeps people at arm's length. Paul knew this too because right before he gives us the verses on the fruits of the Spirit, he says, stop biting and devouring each other. You remember that? Stop biting and devouring each other. And I don't know, maybe it's different for you, but I'm not getting close to someone who is trying to bite and devour me. Nobody looks at a harsh person and thinks, yeah, we should grab a beer, right? That just doesn't happen. And he wrote that letter to a church, to the people who had devoted their lives to Jesus and apparently still had the ability and the tendency to bite and devour each other. Have you ever been to that church? Okay, but we do it too. And don't we usually hurt the ones that we love the most? Don't we usually pounce on our spouse when they strike a nerve in a way faster than we would with somebody else? Don't we lose our cool on our own kids who have decided that green beans are way over the line and how dare you cook them for dinner? We, we don't yell at somebody else's kids about that. We're not harsh with somebody else's kids. We're harshest with the people that we're close to. So here's what has to change. And here's what we've been after in this whole series. We don't get to ask, when we don't ask the why questions, we're going to go back to being fruit fakers, Okay. That's the important thing. you got to ask yourself why. Why is it that I'm looking for false intimacy on a screen? Why is it that I, that, that I can't stop shopping? Why is it that, that I have to have alcohol at night to sleep? Why is it, why is it, why is it, okay? That, that's what we have to ask ourselves because if we don't ask, then we're fruit fakers. And when we do ask why and we figure out what real God-given need is going on inside of us that we're ineffectively trying to meet with our behavior, we become fruit farmers. And that is our goal. The word Paul uses for gentleness is a disposition that is even-tempered, tranquil, balanced in spirit, and unpretentious. Okay, That's what it is. It's, it, it, it's all of those sounded like synonyms until I got to unpretentious and I started thinking about that. And it's a funny word. And, and I know, you know, m- most of us don't identify with it, you know, unless you're a barista. I mean, this guy does. You want coffee? You mean coffee Americano, right? I mean, that's pretentious. So to be unpretentious, to be gentle, we have to wear our weaknesses proudly. And that's why we're not gentle. I don't think we're harsh because we're trying to make people feel afraid or bad or small. I think we're harsh because we're afraid to be real, to be unpretentious. Gentleness means not snapping back at an insult, not powering up when you don't get your way. It means wearing your own weakness proudly instead of putting it on display. And it's scary and it's vulnerable and it could legitimately hurt 
But what about long-term consequences of gentleness? Well, thank God, those are positive. Listen to Paul's relationship with his weakness in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, true strength and resiliency and power come from God himself, and that's positive. And what does gentleness do for our relationships? Well, again, a gentle person is an approachable person. You're not afraid to show your weakness to them because you know they're going to be gentle with you and they're going to give you grace and that will make you do willing, be willing to open up yourself to them. And then you can actually have a real relationship instead of this kind of a relationship. Gentleness is a pathway to authentic relationships because it's the opposite, uh, because the opposite of harshness is about protecting yourself from getting anybody getting to see the real you, getting to see the real things that are going on inside of you. A gentle person isn't afraid to be honest and vulnerable because they know how loved they are. That's the fruit of the Spirit. They're connected to the vine. And they know that if someone doesn't want to be close to me, doesn't want to be messy with me, it's okay. But, but if, if somebody wants to know the real me, I'm going to be real with them. And that will make me a better human. What about self-control? Well, I don't know if you put this together yet, um, but the guy who led worship at our Orland campus today and leads worship around here from time to time is my son-in-law, Tommy, Tommy Carreras. And since Tommy was going to be here to lead worship for our Orland campus, we decided to tag team on this because he and I have been working on these sermons together as we've talked about the fruits of the Spirit. And I'll tell you why. He's been one of the pastors at a church we planted for eight years in California, and thankfully they just moved to Nashville, so I don't have to go to California as much anymore. And he and Lauren are creating new resources for churches to combine the Bible and brain science and recovery tools. And a lot of it is incredible addiction recovery training that they were using at Mission Church in, in California. And one of the pioneers in the field was in their church. And so this all made a whole lot of sense. So would you welcome my son-in-law, Tommy, out. I will tell you, feels a little strange to not have a guitar on, so I will not be singing the rest of this message to you, but that would actually feel a little more normal, but that's going to be okay. Uh, so bear with me on the guitar thing. I might accidentally strum a couple times. It's not weird, but really I'm actually glad to be able to do this part because, I mean, Tim mentioned we've been working together a little bit on this series. I've actually been writing Tim's messages for years now, and so it's, it's really nice to get to just do it myself. He doesn't get the jokes right, and so I'm really happy about this. Um, but in all honesty, I've gotten to lead worship here over the last uh, uh, six months, like six times, and it has been such a gift because I love it here. I got baptized right there. Who else got baptized right there in a pool here? Yeah, it's the best. I, uh, I don't know what brought you to Parkview, but I came here to date Tim's daughter. Um, I know that's not the normal path. It ended up working, which is great. I wouldn't suggest it necessarily, but... Uh, I came for the girl and stayed for Jesus and it all worked out. But I'm really happy to be here. And that's a perfect segue, it feels like, to self-control. So let's keep talking about self-control. Uh, here's the issue, I think, with self-control. Because we often think of it as the willpower it takes to not do the really fun or kind of wonderful thing that I like but I probably shouldn't like because it's actually sinful because I'm pretty sure I read it in the Bible somewhere and most people think it's sinful and I really like it but I don't think I should. And it just goes on and on and on. 
But again, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about fruit that actually grows, and it can't really be willpower if it's a fruit, because fruit doesn't try hard to grow. It grows effortlessly in the right conditions. But willpower, by definition, is the exact opposite of that. It's something you do and force yourself to do against the grain of the conditions and your desires. And I know that willpower is a real thing. Like, I know that you saw the cookie the other day, and you thought, I shouldn't have the cookie. And then you know, oh, I really want the cookie. And then you didn't eat the cookie, and that was sheer force of will. And I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of me when I do that. So what we're saying is also willpower is not, it's, it's not that it's not real. That's not the problem. What we're saying is that it's not reliable because it runs out real fast, right? And most importantly, it's just not a fruit of the Spirit. Better willpower with corrupted desires for things that hurt us But the ability to say no, that's not the end game. That's not really what God's trying to make us into. And the problem also is that the spirit-led pathway to more self-control can't be to control myself more because controlling myself more would take more self-control. And it's just this never-ending loop. Have you ever been on that never-ending loop to think like, next time I'll make it right. Next time I get it this time. This was a bad thing this time and I really feel guilty enough. And I think that means I can get it right this time. And then somehow you find a way to get around that the next time that it comes up, right? So we've got to try and approach it in a new way. And I'm going to draw you a picture because why not? Um, Here is your tank. You have a tank. It's a good picture, right? To clarify also, I'm not saying that you are a tank. I'm saying you have a tank. So you have a tank and this is everything that you've got in you. And there are... These are nozzles. I don't know, maybe something like that. There's a little whatever. But you have a tank, and it has nozzles on it. And these nozzles are really important because they're a very good thing. You play with your kids. You expend physical and mental and emotional and relational energy at work. You care for a friend that needs you. Everything that is in your tank ends up going out of these nozzles. And some of the nozzles are good, and maybe some of them you got to turn off a little more often. But the idea is that this tank has and holds everything that you have to give in your life. All of the good things. And sure, willpower's in there, but joy, motivation, energy, passion, interest, love, all of those things fill up the tank. And that's what we give to others from. And you and I both know that we have this tank. How? Because we know when it's empty, right? We know when we're hangry, for example. Life can be relentless on the tank because it's supposed to be way up here, but there's no point in drawing it there because normally, anybody feel like it's more like around there all the time? Everything gets zapped from us because life is relentless. And all of these nozzles are good things, but everything is pouring out of them all the time and everybody needs something and everything takes too much energy and I didn't get enough sleep and all of it. And then we start running on fumes. We run on the fumes of what what small amount is left inside of us. And then if the nozzles are open wide, there's nothing left inside because everything that goes in just comes out, right? We perform poorly when this happens. We're relationally absent. Our attention falters. And eventually we just snap. And snapping sometimes is harshness. But this running on fumes also means that we're desperately attempting to put more in and we're trying to fill up our tanks but the problem is that when the tank is empty and we're running on fumes and all the nozzles are still open so things are still expected of us 
we end up not just running on fumes, but trying to fill the tank back up with the most attractive and least helpful things. We've all got our list, right? Netflix, sugar, caffeine, doom scrolling on your app of choice, porn, you name it. There's a million things that are really attractive when the tank is empty because they have just enough fumes to get maybe something out or at least avoid the feeling of emptiness. But the problem is that they feel good in the moment and they give us this hit of dopamine, but they trick us because they do nothing for us long term. They don't fill the tank. Any fumes don't actually get us back to the top. And that's why, because they're hurting us, we have to move the conversation about self-control back a few more steps. We're, not, we're trying not to do these bad things. We're trying not to yell and not to look and not to eat or drink or smoke or not to do the things that for some strange reason are incredibly attractive to us even though they hurt us. But that sounds like a never-ending battle. So when we move it back, we can realize that the things aren't the problem. The caffeine and the social media and the Netflix aren't the actual problem. And it's not even really our desire for the things that's the real problem. And when we move it back, we start to see that there's a new problem. And it's a lack of self-control is a desperate, unconscious cry for help. It's not a things problem, and it's not even a desire problem. It's a symptom. My lack of self-control is a symptom of the real problem. And the real problem is unmet needs. And you think, even though I slept, even though I eat well, even though I exercise, well, yes, because you were designed to have a full tank and you most often don't have it. And you have a life to give away when you have this full tank and you don't need these fumes and everything goes a lot better. And so we have to figure out how to live on a full tank so that the things that we need don't feel so, like those things that are attractive don't feel like we need them so much because the reality is that God doesn't want self-control from us. It's not something he's hoping that he can give us so that we can make him look lot, like not as bad. We can stop making him look bad or maybe he wants it from us because we'll stop annoying him finally. It doesn't look like that. He wants self-control for us because it's a better way to live and we end up as better humans and he wants us to have it because he loves us. And so we have to make this practical because the idea of a full tank seems fine, but we have to know what it really means. And so the first step to that is starting to act like self-control is not about better performance in the moment. It's not about more willpower when the temptation comes. It's about pre better preparation before it ever comes. Those nozzles, the ways that you and I were created to give something to the world, they're actually a really big deal. There are people in the world that you, only you can love. And maybe you're not feeling like the all-star of the Christian faith at times, or maybe you're still confused about it all, or maybe you know you have this whole lineup of baggage that you're trying to get rid of still, but you were designed to give something to the world. And if you've got a spouse, you're the only one they've got. And if you've got kids, they are the ones that you, like count on you the most. Your attention and love for them literally serves as the basis of their entire identity and how they approach the world. So what you do matters. The way that you love, value, and develop people in this life has lasting effects, not just on them, but on everybody else that will come after them. And so whether or not you feel like it, God designed those nozzles on your tank to be an impact on the world. And so we have to live with a full tank. And Paul says this perfectly in Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
But the big question is why, and the why is for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what we give to the world matters. And if we have a full tank or not, matters to everyone. You and I are worth the preparation, whether we feel like it or not because people are counting on us. And that means we have to keep our tank full. And now, if you're gonna keep that tank full and we have all our needs met, the first thing to staying whole is actually knowing what actually fills the tank. You have to identify your real needs so that you can get them met or met and ask for them. And I can't go into much detail about this right now because Tim's a jerk and he gave me less time than he gave himself. So. Because of that, I've got a worksheet for you. Uh, We've got a worksheet because Lauren and I actually just created something similar called a recovery rhythms guide. And the whole point of it is it's a tool to help you sit down and make an intentional plan to recover what you lose through those nozzles on a regular basis. It's a plan for making sure the tank stays full, not uh, so we don't have to make desperate attempts to run on fumes when it's empty. And the idea is that when we can do this too, when we have the right activities that meet real needs, we actually can give our lives away and not lose all of our life in the process. And I'll give you a hint right now, Netflix is actually not one of probably the primary tank fillers in our lives, even though it feels so good in the moment, right? And I'll keep testing it just in case. I'll keep watching all the shows and I'll let you know how it goes, but it's probably not gonna work. The real secret to the tank is really relationships. The experience of being known and loved by other people and by God That is the thing that fills our tank the most and keeps us full. It's the most important kind of recovery rhythm and nothing fills us like that. But you can go get this recovery rhythms worksheet at parkviewchurch.com slash rhythms. um, And that will help you sit down, make an intentional plan for how to keep the tank full and make sure you're checking the right boxes. What we actually need, what God designed us in our brains and our bodies to actually need to stay full so that we have a life to give away to others. There's a guide and a worksheet for you to fill out. And the best part about this, honestly, is that you get to share it with somebody. When it's on a piece of paper, instead of having an accountability partner that says, hey, you screwed up again. How you feeling? Bad? Good. Okay, that's good. It's instead of that, somebody saying, hey, you haven't, you haven't done that thing that's on your worksheet in a long time. You might want to do that before things get worse. Where's your tank at? And we're trying to keep each other full instead of trying to keep each other from screwing up because that's not a very good friendship. And so this is a great way to do that with your spouse or a friend or anybody else. And so go get that worksheet. But one more note on the tank. You've got this tank, you've got the nozzles, stuff's coming in, right? Nozzles coming out. The problem is that if filling the tank was the only thing that we needed to do, everybody would probably be fine because we just fill our tanks, get our needs met, and we would be okay. The problem really is that there are holes. That look like a hole? It probably looks like a hole. There are holes in the tank. Your tank is broken. It's not a question of if it's broken, it just is. Because life breaks our tanks. And then we break our tanks too. Mine is broken, Tim's is very broken, okay? All of our tanks are broken. And the rest of these nozzles, all of these other things, they are good things that God gave us to give our lives to. He gave them to us. So my spouse isn't the problem, my kids aren't the problem, and my work isn't the problem. All of those things probably are just the ways that God designed me to give to the world. But the holes in the tank are a big problem. And the question is whether we know something is a nozzle or a hole. Constant stress, 
never-ending anxiety, total fear about what could happen, that is a hole in the tank. It needs to be addressed and repaired. Fear that you're running from or past trauma or hurts that you're trying to forget, which by the way is impossible, that's a hole in the tank and nothing can fix that except addressing it and repairing it. Toxic relationship patterns that uh, you walk on eggshells all the time or you can't be honest with each other. We talk about each other's pro- or others' problems instead of our own. Patterns like that where we're holding on to resentments or unforgiveness, those are holes in the tank and they need to be addressed and repaired. And good recovery rhythms don't do that. Input and self-care cannot solve or bypass a hole in the tank. Everything, all the extra sleep we get and the exercise and all the good things we try and do for ourselves, all of it will miss the nozzle and go out the hole and then boom, we're down at empty again until they are addressed and repaired. And what happens when our tank is empty? We have no self-control and we keep reaching for the things that hurt us. And so those holes need to be repaired. They desperately need to be repaired. And that is work that has to be done with trustworthy friends that will give you the right kind of grace and help. Friends that can love the real and messy you and walk with you as you take brave steps toward change. It has to be outside of you. Sometimes it's a counselor or a program that can help you identify what core issues are and help you rethink them and challenge them and take those steps. And God wants all that for us because this repair work is where he's waiting for us. He wants us not to just be better at putting stuff out of the nozzle and giving to the world. He just wants us to be whole because he cares about us. And he wants those holes to be repaired. And 99% of the time, probably 100, but I'm probably not allowed to say 100 about anything. So 99.5% of the time, that work has to be done with God, but also with people. Because nobody in the world can see you like somebody else who loves you can see you. And we can't see ourselves that way. And you know this is true because you know how to fix everybody else's problems very clearly, but somehow... It's not so easy with our own, right? I know about everybody else's problems. It's really easy. But that's also why we made that offer a couple weeks ago. If you remember or you heard this, uh, uh, Parkview will pay for your first counseling session, which is fantastic because that's a great next step for a lot of people and it should be. I've been in counseling. My wife has been in counseling. I think everybody should be in counseling at some point in their life. So take the opportunity now and get your first session paid for and get to talk to some, you'll be get to talk to somebody on staff about finding somebody that works and they'll follow up with you. It will be awesome. But no matter what your next step is, self-control has to become about wholeness. It's not about strength and it's not about willpower. And so we have to stop beating ourselves up about not having the willpower in the moment. We need to start moving toward wholeness. And when we repair those holes, what God pours in actually stays. We can finally be full of all the things we need, full of his spirit. That's the whole point of this, is that we're full of his spirit so that we don't have to look elsewhere to get our needs met. So self-control is about better preparation and being able to say no to things that hurt us just happens to be a really good byproduct of that. So thank you for letting me talk to you instead of sing to you. And also Tim just really needed to have the last word like he always does, so welcome him back up also. Great job. Um, I, you know, I could say snarky things, but I'm so happy to have the three son-in-laws that I have. Um, it's amazing. So here's what we're going to do, okay? We've been doing something that has to do with farming every, every week, trying to, you know, like how do you take the bad stuff out of the soil or add the good stuff to the soil? And here's a really fascinating thing 
Um, in Malawi, where we, where we work, um, they farm, but they farm very badly because they don't understand crop rotation. They don't understand that you can't just plant corn every year, every year, every year. And if you do that, you take the nutrients out of the soil and you have to put more fertilizer in and it doesn't work very well. So my idea for us on farming the the fruits of the Spirit this week, and especially self-control and gentleness, is fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. And the discipline of fasting is all through the Bible. And what is the idea? The idea is to change the rotation, okay? It's, it's, to, it's to not keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's crop rotation. That's what we're going to do. So what do I mean by that? Well, everybody starts freaking out thinking it has to be food. And listen, uh, I think food is probably the, a great thing to do. It doesn't have to be all food. Uh, one of, my other son-in-law, Ash just did 21 days without eating food. He just did juice and, and a, a little bit of broth and, and did 21 days. You can go without food for a really long time and, and you'll feel great. But if you have food insecurities, if you have, if you have body image issues and eating disorders, please don't do food. But whatever you fast from, it should be something that you will notice and miss. And it will be something that will give you a prompt that you miss it so that when you miss it, you can pray about how you will survive without getting that thing that you're fasting from, okay? It took me one week to go from sugary, milky coffee to black coffee. And once I got there, I never went back. So what else could you do? A technology fast is probably a great idea, all right? Uh, I mean, how much time do we spend with a screen in front of us? I mean, delete all your social and gaming apps from your phone for a certain amount of time and don't do it. Log out of your social media accounts on your browser and don't do it. Set a time each evening to put your device in another room and don't engage with it until morning. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a giant step. And of course, it could be alcohol. Of course, it could be. I mean, many of you grew up with Lent, and I heard stories of Lent like, oh, my dad gave up whiskey and switched to scotch for Lent. You know, I mean, that's not really going to help you, okay? And we're going to come up with some great ideas for you as we approach the Lenten season because I think it's going to be a great idea. But this is not like me to you saying everybody ought to do this. I'm just saying if you want to understand self-control, there is willpower involved in it. And it could be removing some stuff that you don't need, that's getting in your way. Might even be some healthy things, whatever. If you're addicted to, you know, exercising, maybe you should take a week off. You figure out what it is and watch the soil fill up and figure out how to be filled. And here's my closing scripture. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty strength. All right, that's self-control through the Holy Spirit. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love so that you may have power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of his spirit and the power that comes from God. It's all about God's love controlling me so that I have the inner strength to control the other things in my world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time. I thank you for Tommy and Lauren and the stuff that they're working on. Really, I mean, probably a lot of us know this stuff, but man, it's um, when you think about it from the diagram, when you think about how often we're empty and how much we fill up our life with stupid stuff to try to fill it back up instead of you, 
instead of the whole things that make us whole, it's, it's alarming. And it feels like it's getting worse out there and it feels like humans are getting worse out there. So be with us as believers. Fill us with your wholeness. And it's in your name that we pray.